Happy New Year, Buon Anno, uh, Talking Toro's Back, uh, episode 27. Rob, what are you doing on the 24th of May, fella? Uh, I think we might be going to Rome, uh, if uh, last night's anything to go by. Will it be Will it be Rome? The 30, it, oh. years, 30 years of hurt, is that where it's ending, in Rome? Well, let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, it's just... I mean, this is probably typical Toro that we're getting so excited at quarterfinal. Even even the the Toro um, Twitter account's gone gone overboard and started doing some creative uh, Indiana Jones rip off. Oh, they found the password, have they? To, to get to the because we've got to the quarterfinals. But um, no, I think uh, every fan's pretty pretty pre- feeling pretty happy to, today, and uh, and rightfully so. We don't get much to to look forward to as Torino fans. So a, a good night and an unexpected cup victory. Um, whilst our backs were against the wall, um, we definitely deserve to celebrate. I think. Yeah, well, yeah. Just to recap, Toro winning one nil uh, with a very late Adopo goal in extra time against against Milan last night. Milan, who have been a bit of a bit of a bogey team in the Coppa Italia over recent times. Uh, a bit of a quiz quiz question for you, Rob. Since it's thirty years since we won the Coppa Italia in Rome in ninety three, do you know how many times we've got to the last? Eight since then. I'm trying to think just in my time as a fan. Three of them. Uh, well, yeah, I'm just going to give you the answer, haven't I? <laughs> but... Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think that I think there's only been one, which might have been the um, when Mihailovic ended up getting sacked after the Juve defeat. So I'll go for if 30 years, how many times have we got to the last eight? Let's go for six. It's been four. So th- three of them are in in the in the Rob Gilman era. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so, so we lost. This is, why, this is why I lost the quiz, isn't it? Yeah, so we have lost uh, one, two, three. Look at this. There's a lot of defeats to Sam for Milan. Uh, five times we've been knocked out by Milan since we won the cup. So yeah, Milan locked us out three years ago, four two in extra time. I think when um, so the Bra- Zlatan came. Uh, it might have been the Zlatan game. Possibly. So the one Bremer, Bremer scored a brace then? Uh, yeah, because there was one that went to penalties, wasn't there? Yeah. But was, was, was that a last 16 tie? I think that... Well, I've got them down as we lost last 16. Yeah. Yeah. But in any case, we lost 4-2 to Milan in extra time. Um, maybe maybe that's the penalty scoreline and I'm getting all confused here. But um, then we lost 2-0 to Juventus in 2018 and then one I completely forgot about 2009 3-1 to Lazio in Rome and the other one going back was a year after we won the Coppa Italia we actually got to the semi-final and we managed to lose to Ancona who I think were a Serie B team then so Rob is this is this the best chance of winning a trophy we've had since 1994 we went out to Ancona bearing in mind we have been in the last eight but Lazio, Juventus, Milan, those would have been, um, we wouldn't have been favourites going into any of those games. Whereas this time, uh, potentially Fiorentina or Sampdoria. It's the what, the frustrating, frustrating thing about the Coppa Italia, and even though, I mean, obviously, if we do go on to have a, a decent sort of campaign this year, we, our attitude towards the Coppa may change slightly. But this is where the predetermined run is a little bit frustrating because even last night, you sort of when once we get through, you're sort of looking ahead, and it's already predetermined. It's going to be Samp and Fiorentina away, and I feel would that... Samp would Samp be away by 
virtue of them beating Fiorentina? I don't, or would I don't we be really, at home to Samp? I don't really know how it works. I, I thought it was that maybe because we've beaten the seeded team being Milan, we would take their their home slot. Um, but whether the same thing happens, maybe if Fiorentina win, Fiorentina at home, but if Samp win, we would be at home. I mean, sort of the fact that you don't know probably sums up what a bit of a joke this tournament is. Um, and it would just be, I think it would be, I think it gives us an easier route to the semi-finals rather than it being a free draw where we could face Napoli or Juve. Um, but yeah, I think so either either or, home or away, I think you said last night, Samp fight and relegation, Fiorentina in Europe. That is pretty, to get to the semi-finals, that would be the first, when was the Ancona? Uh, semi- 94 so. 94 yeah don't, don't, don't remember that one too well but um, I, uh, that would that would be the first, obviously the first semi-final of a proper competition for what's that 20 25 well it'd be 29 29 years yeah, yeah I mean I, I, I think obviously if Torino gets through the next round it would be the best chance of a trophy uh, since then um and yeah, then, it goes, get, we, then it goes to two, goes to two legs once it gets goes to the two semis, legs. I believe. Yeah, and I think the nice thing about the semis is it, it will give you it will give you a home match, but it will also give you um, a, you know one of those big nights, big uh, midweek nights, which we haven't had so many of over the past couple of decades. So I think yeah, there's the kind of quarterfinal will be a massive game just by virtue of what. Well, it would be a landmark and a Cairo presidency to get to the semi-finals, and I just think yeah, it will give us. Give us a massive opportunity to, um, and and the, again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but then the semi final would be against two sides who have still got still in European competition as well. And you would imagine, um, if if Napoli and Roma, uh, the results go as you would expect them, they would probably play the, the next quarter final and it would be one of those, uh, in the semi finals. So, not that they're easy games or anything, but Torino, I think if we get through the quarter final. I could imagine our league form maybe dipping as we we sort of put our attention onto to the the cup and, and try and qualify for Europe that way, which is probably the most realistic way for us. And I think I think every Torino fan would rather give the cup the cup everything, and regardless of whether we sort of affect our league position by two or three places. Yeah, at the four two to Milan was the Bremer game where Ibrahimovic came on, and uh, there was a late uh, late goal that took it to extra time. Um, yeah, I mean, I went into this Milan game. I uh, just, we will talk about the two league games since we've been back. Two pretty disappointing draws of Verona and Slenitana for kind of different reasons. Um, and I kind of went into last night thinking if, if inevitably we lose to Milan again, then, um, it might be European dream over for the season. Um, obviously, hopefully this might. I mean, you mentioned the, the league form may dip, especially because we've got we've got a fairly small squad. But I'm also hoping this kind of kickstarts us a little bit. But I just felt, I feel at the moment, looking back at the kind of start of 2023, this team is a little bit more built, I think, to play backs the walls football at the moment. Um, I think defensively, we're we're pretty solid, um, and and even in midfield where we're relatively short of numbers, um, I don't really think that's the weak area it has been in the past. I think the weak area is definitely uh, creativity in, in in the forward areas. So last night against Milan, where we were at a certain point in the game where we, we could sit back and soak pressure and play in the break a little bit, probably suits 
suits where we are at the moment and actually playing teams like Verona, Salernitana, Spezia this weekend where we're expected to take the game to them, which we did very well in Salerno, but really not very well at home to Verona. Um, I wonder if that's where we're kind of waiting to do something in the transfer market. But but I guess, yeah, we should talk talk about last night because there's some pretty unexpected storylines in there as the game unfolded. And, and I'm, I'm not sure whether you, about your opinion on this either, but I think the fact that the the goal came through the route it did with Bailly and the Doppo almost makes it even more special than if it had been maybe a set piece and, and a Schurz or a, or a Zima had headed headed in. I think the fact that it came from fringe players who both of them, I remember Adopo before the first game in Monza was on his way out of the club, but had to play in the in the middle of the back three due to sort of an injury crisis. Did really well, convinced Juric to stay. Um, and then Bailly was apparently sort of hours away from going to Regina and has done the same thing. He's, he's come on as a force change as well. I don't think that was a planned um, a substitution. I think it was Singo literally couldn't continue, but he finally appeared for I think his first appearance since I think he came on against Palermo in the Copper in the in the early start of the season. Um, and I thought he looked, I thought he looked very competent, and obviously then sort of had the opportunity for the goal. And Torino haven't had many counter attack opportunities, especially if you think about the games that we've played. Recently, since the start of the year, as you say, games which we expected to dominate, we executed that counter-attack to perfection, really. And I always felt there was going to be one chance. I thought it could happen in the after after Gigi's red cards, which we might get onto. I thought we may have one chance. It would be stupid to sort of just put just play for penalties. I always felt Milan would go forward to try to avoid penalties, and we would get an opportunity. And and it became a uh, unlikely duo to combine. And Adapo. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say he almost missed, but he um, he made sure he got it in the corner. Let's just say that. Yeah, it was a really good finish. I was, yeah, I, I, it was a high risk finish. I think you you yeah. call it, but but he's he's impressed me this season when he's when he's come on, and I'm a bit surprised he's not been introduced a little bit more. I thought he actually, I thought he changed the game a little bit when he came on. So he brought a lot of physicality, and actually, as Torino got weaker in terms of personnel on the pitch as the game went on and Milan got stronger. But I think Milan just, they lost any sense of shape and cohesion. And there was so much shooting, really terrible shooting outside of the box throughout the game that they weren't a massive threat. I do suspect if that had been a league game and Torino had been down to 10 men going into injury time, we we somehow would have would have conceded an, an inevitable goal. But, you know, by and large, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of great. Vanya had some saves to make. Some, some he he kind of made look more difficult than they were. But I mean, I thought I thought he played well last night in terms of the way he organised defence. Um, but it was a yeah, it was a very very kind of competent professional performance. Um, and yeah, to think that we finished the game with Dembasek playing playing up front by a who's yeah like you said is will probably go to reg you know the only reason he he, pl- he he played was was kind of because of the fallback crisis because we're not likely to see Olorina for another month do you, th- um, do you think um that might convince Juric to keep him I know it might not be the best idea in terms of his development and playing regular football in Serie B could probably be a, a wiser decision in the long term I'd rather 
we've been linked with a, a young player unknown from Atalanta. I'd rather keep our uh, Baye in, even if it's only going to be sort of substitute appearances. I think he's shown enough in that sort of cameo appearance off the bench that he can contribute to this this team. He's probably, I'm not sure on the stats and can't confirm them, but has he probably got more assists than Alorana now this season? Like that, that is the reality of that. Yeah, I think you've got to. If somebody comes off the bench and sort of contributes to a victory in in such fashion, what message does it send to then send them away? It's going to, not going to make what young players want to come to Torino. Um, I, I'd I'd like to keep him now, um, at least within the season, even if his I, opportunities are limited. I suspect my prediction is he will get uh, rewarded with five ten minutes maybe against against Spezia because um, well you have. I, I'd be surprised if Singo starts anyway on on Sunday because he looked to he looked to have picked up a kind of knock towards the end of the game yesterday, which leaves Voivode and Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez, we might come back on onto him shortly as in his renaissance as a wing back. But yeah, I suspect my prediction will be a uh, Bayer gets a little run out against Spezia and then maybe goes out goes out line because I just think if Juric has looked at this player for four or five months and has only called him up when he's really been in a major emergency, when there have been occasions where there would have been the opportunity to bring him on at full-back. I, I think it might be the best thing for his development. But I think, for, I think it was around the Verona game, Juric said he wants two players to come in. And in the window, and we might touch on this in the second part of the podcast, but I think obviously with what we've not mentioned is the Lazzaro in, uh, injury, uh, looks like he could be out for two or three months, and he's been definitely one of our better players this season. Um, getting better, and is just um, creatively has been um, very good from set pieces. Um, so that's a big loss. I do think we're going to need to bring someone in at fullback because, I, Vers- I, I, yeah, versatility wise, I think Lazaro is a, a miss because he can play left and right in a way that. I know Voivoda can, but Singo can't. Aina can, but is obviously injured at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think about if if you're going to lose a wing back, Lazaro is probably the worst player to have lost. Bear in mind, he's, he's been uh, one of our best players this season. I wouldn't be. I, I think he, I agree. I think we probably do need to bring in a wing back. I I wouldn't be too surprised if we bought one in, and then used maybe kept. Baye for a little bit longer and see what happens with Aina because I did see something which was suggesting Aina could recover from his injury sooner than planned. If an opportunity comes for maybe towards the end of the transfer window that a move to the Premier League opens up again, he's out of contract in the end of the sum- at the end of the season. If we get a, a relatively decent offer, then whether we we bring in a fullback and have sell Aina and, and keep Baye as a sort of cover for that position again it, it might might not be the least surprising thing that we do because I think if, if we get any sort of offer in, in January if he does recover from injury that would be the clever thing to do rather than, than losing for free in the summer Yeah I just think if we're if we're serious uh, I don't I haven't really liked a lot of the rhetoric about Europe over the last few weeks I think this is a very poor Serie A uh, Fiorentina qualified for Europe last season. I don't think they're a particularly good team. They they got 
they got smacked around 4-0 on, on a number of occasions last season. And I think it is there for the taking with with a bit of investment and a bit of belief. As I, say, I think defensively we're, we're probably good enough. There's a tendency for some of our defendants to kind of get a bit overconfident in possession. Um, but I think it's a, you know, it's a bit of a high risk policy sometimes, which, um, which sometimes doesn't pay off. Um, but I just, I, I just feel looking at those early games of the season, it's, uh, the, the striker situation is, is pretty critical. And I, I do think we need a, another body in that kind of Moranchuk, Vlasic, Radonic area, partly because Vlasic looks a bit burnt out, burnt out to me. I don't think he's playing particularly well. And I, I think he's one of those players as well who, is probably performing better if you watch him in the stadium rather than on TV because there's a lot of work off the ball. Yeah, um, Moranchuk is arguably our most gifted player and uh, te- technically, and the one most likely to to unlock a defense or do something. And, and um, the goal against the goal against Verona is probably the sort of goal that only Moranchuk in that team could have scored. I think Redonjic has scored from outside the area for, but it's not particularly something that Vlasic or, or or one of the the midfield players have have done regularly, um, and yeah, I think producing that little bit of magic is is something that Moranchuk has in his locker. And yeah, I agree. I think maybe just a little bit of variety. I think Redonjic has gone off the boil a little bit. Did not sure my, he did have my yeah. concerns. Not sure but, he was he was ever on the boil, to be honest. But uh, apart... he, he found his he found his level in the cup against Serie B sides. I think, um, I think there were one or two moments earlier in the season, but I just think Radonjic is yeah, incredibly frustrating player, and when he's not, when he's not clicking, he doesn't really contribute. It, it, it can almost be quite damaging to the team. I do. I, I think an out of form Vlasic, I think, is always going to give you hard work and endeavour. Yeah. Um, whereas an out of form Radonjic is is going to get himself in, in trouble or kind of give possession away, lose it, lose his kind of position tactically. I think, I would, yeah, I'd kind of like to see an alternative to to, to Radonjic possibly. Um, and I think Voivoda has been really, really poor uh, either side of the break as well. Yeah, um, I agree. It's, not, it's been so long ago, I almost forgot that he got subbed after half an hour against Roma. And then I thought he was going to get subbed again in the Verona game where he was pretty poor. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like maybe looking back chronologically, I thought the Verona game, if we'd applied ourselves like we did against Salernitana, certainly against Verona, we would have won that game pretty easily. Um, conceded a very silly goal from a corner. Um, I, I don't think we've looked great on corners in general. There was, the, there was one of the few chances Milan had yesterday was also kind of that near post flick on from De Kettler in in the first half. Uh, but I thought Verona were Verona were very didn't do much for their lead, and whenever we put them under any kind of pressure, they 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 kind of crumbled. And I, I mean, there were a few Linetti when he came on looked like he he'd um, turned into a hundred meter sprinter uh, <laughs> over over the break. But yeah, I thought his impact in that game, I just and that chance Lukic missed at the end was I f- I don't know, I just felt like one of the worst misses of. You know, it, given the context um, it, of our season, I wondered whether that was going to be the miss where uh, where yeah, the season might turn a little bit. Um, but yeah, what your I kind of thoughts on the Verona game before? Maybe we just we'd kind of touch on Salernitana, which was a very different game. Yeah, I think it was. It's probably the frustrating thing because when you, when you play against a team who've lost ten games in a row, you you almost think, well, 
that would definitely be ended against us. It's they're almost in too bad a form to to play against because the the law of averages suggests that they can't just continue losing games. Um, uh, Southampton have tried to disprove that theory in the Premier League at the moment, but um, well, well, also I think the break helped Verona. It was ten in a row, but it wasn't and, ten in a row in a different way, was it? It was kind and, of a bit and, of a restart. And to be honest, it's probably not the most aesthetically pleasing type of football, but. It was very effective in terms of very well organised defensively. Juric probably isn't the uh, most uh, gifted striker in Italian football, but he's gave Torino problems before, and he's just very simple at what he does. He's a target man, and he's very, I think, very intelligent. Almost underrated in a way that you can you can see with his skill set. I think he had a, I think he had a spell in England at Bristol City and scored quite a few goals, which. Doesn't surprise me. I think in sort of he probably suits more uh, an English style of football. But I mean, even before his goal, I thought he was very good at just giving the Verona defence a bit of, a bit of time. He was holding the ball up well, intelligently. And yeah, I thought I thought once Morantic scored the sort of long range strike, which as I said probably a sort of goal that only he could score. I felt we would go on a little bit more and go and get the win whereas I don't think we really got the chances until the, the Lanetti one you mentioned and, and also Lukic's which probably a, a bit unfortunate in terms of I think he, he probably expects the goalkeeper to get there, he doesn't and and then his head is sort of a bit a bit tame and, a bit, and far too wide but I felt I was disappointed against Verona but it's all it's a bit it's a bit strange how two one one draws. I know one's at home, one's away, but performances can be so different. Whereas if we look at Salernitana, I thought first half, especially this season, was probably our best performance in terms of chances created, sort of energy. We looked like we wanted. I've, I almost said that. I I'd almost said it, and glad glad I didn't because I would have ended up jinxing the result as it did, but. We were wearing white, and I thought it was Real Madrid playing in that first half because we could have, we could have, if we were four or five nil up at half time, I don't think anybody could have had any complaints. And I'm sure Torino fans have got a soft spot for Salernitana as I do with uh, Nicola in charge, but they they were awful, and I think you've got to give credit to them that Nicola was able to change it round in the second half. They immediately looked a better side. Uh, had a couple of chances unfortunately I think if we were able to weather that storm in the first 10-15 minutes at the start of the second half then maybe we could have gone on and, and got a second or a third and made it quite comfortable but they got their goal with probably one of the most gifted players uh, very good solo effort but very avoidable Vojvoda making a mistake on the halfway line <laughs> Milinkovic-Savic going down in instalments for what feels like the 100th time this season um, and yeah, I've, I've, I was impressed with the performance with that game, and I felt if we, if you're looking at the end of the season, where have we thrown away two, where have we thrown away points? You probably look back at both of those games, but the Verona one's probably a bit more frustrating because because the opposition were probably there for the taking and being at home. Yeah, almost almost would have been better to play one of the bigger teams, I think, in that first game back after Christmas, just with the. Um... Just with everyone being a bit kind of out of sorts and finding form, it might have been, yeah, we, we might have wanted to play Verona when we'd 
when we'd had a few more games in our legs, kind of paradoxically. Um, yeah, so Lernitana, I think you're right. We played, I think we played pretty well against Empoli in a match you went to uh, as well. Yeah. But the, the halftime whistle killed us um, in that match. I, I, at one stage, I didn't think we'd come out for the second half with all of that. <sighs> The VAR not, seemingly not working. I had this vision of like, oh god, they're going to replay this match. That was because um, I, I was I was up at my brother's house in um, in Scotland, so I didn't have the sound done, so I couldn't really work out what was happening. But that was my understanding that the VAR wasn't working. I'm not sure whether we just played. The, did they just play the second half without VAR? I think that could have been very contentious had um, had there been a sort of issue. Yeah, I'm, later I'm not on in sure. The, game. the referee kept... sort of. Kept calling captains over, yeah, yeah. To, to explain what was going on. I'm not sure, and I'm not sure in the end there was a. I remember a kind of check or anything in the second half, but um, yeah, I just felt I felt kind of you were at school, Nicola, in that game. Um, the changes Nicola made at half time, I think, were a little bit overplayed. They, they, they had the kind of ten minutes. They got the goal, um. Which you like you said was was pretty avoidable, but I felt for the last half an hour. I think again with a bit more intensity, um, we could have got the winner, and I think we're kind of overdue, at least in the league match, kind of getting a late winner. I think it's something that's frustrated us for a while. That we very rarely do our best work in, in the kind of last 15, 20 minutes. 14th minute, it's pretty late, Peter. Yeah, last night, but but yeah, I just I I thought we might I thought we might sneak it in Salerno when we're we're kind of putting the pressure on the end at, in at the end, but and kind of weirdly, you know, we would have been better off losing one of those two matches and and winning one in terms yeah. of in terms of points. But I think going into them, I would have I probably would have taken four points, a draw, uh, maybe a draw in Salerno and a, and a win at home to Verona. But I think it yeah, we'll talk about the Spezia game a bit later. But I think it's important not to. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to let the league form drift because uh, there's still a lot of, lot of games to play. Just quickly on the uh, Salerno Turner game, a word for a much maligned striker, uh, Antonio Sanabria. I thought he took his goal very well and shows the difference between having an actual striker. Even even when he's not been in form, I, I, I do prefer having him leading the line rather than rather than Vlasic because I just don't think it, it looks natural. Um and I thought it was a very good finish. And a lot of our sort of struggling struggle to score goals this season have been sort of aimed at the, the strikers. But I think if you go back to the Santana game, Zima, uh Bongiorno and Shears all probably should have scored. Uh, yeah, possibly Rodriguez I, as well. So yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure yeah, I'm not sure there's been a goal, game in three in the history where all three centre backs have scored. So there might be one for the statisticians. Yeah. But um yeah, I think uh, we do look a bit more of a threat from set pieces and whether that was just Salernitana yeah. just can't defend them or whether we are starting to sort of realise that that's quite an effective way to score goals for a side who don't tend to create too many... Well, I was gonna, I'm going to stop myself there. The problem is we do create chances. The, the issue is we don't take them. Um, so I think, I think that is a route for us to, to hopefully try and in, increase our scoring input. Wait. I think we create a lot more chances when we have a striker because we have someone who holds the ball up, occupies their defence and allows the um the Vlasic's and the Moranchuks to, to come into the game. I think we're we're awful when we don't play but strike. It worked once against Sampdoria when the opposition was so bad that um that it probably would you know I could have played different. Yeah, we could have played any formation that evening. And I think that, that probably didn't help us that uh, 
Um, yeah, Vlasic really doesn't work in that position. And I'm kind of, I think Sanabria played well in Salona and I thought he played really well last night against Milan, just in terms of tactically. Um, he put in Lukic for that early chance. He occupied a defence. He just gave us a presence. Um, and I think actually the, the break for him has probably been, came at the right time as well, where he's been able to sort of refocus. And I think that, I don't think the crowd have been getting to him in terms of, uh, I think of of past strikers who, who Torino fans have really just not sort of attached themselves to, but he he has been in poor form. Uh, I think he's missed a lot of good chances, but I, I think the Torino fans are quite an honest set of supporters, and they'll they'll be on your side as long as you work hard. If 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 he was a sort of striker who, as soon as he missed a chance, and just sort of gave up and and just sort of stopped running about, then I think we'd be a lot more frustrated. But as soon as he works hard, I think he'll always has the um, support of the of the fans yeah but I just think it's imperative to have two fit strikers at any one time even if we're only playing one it's just uh, I, th- and I think cut- with, I think with Pellegri in the squad I think you you need to have a third because obviously his, his fitness record is just so I don't I don't think we can count Pellegri as part of the squad it, it's a bonus when he's there and I don't mean that in a harsh way but we, we can't plan you can't plan for him to be fit and if he's fit it's a, it, it's a bonus but like I said I think we need we need three strikers in in the squad. Um, just, just the other thing was, did, sorry, did you want to um, touch on uh, Ricardo Rodriguez at wing no, back? Yeah, at wing back now now seems to be uh, he's he's had a taste of it in the World Cup and now he's bringing it to Turin. Well, I thought against Salernitana uh, when he he was kind of forced into it and he came on. I thought he did quite well because he didn't have to play backwards. Yeah. Um, so Juric obviously just said, station yourself in the kind of final third. He didn't move a lot, but they gave him space to ping in crosses. He had I mean, a chance he, 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 he may have play, done better with. He played in a, a back four as a left back for Switzerland and got forward quite a lot. So maybe I've been a little bit too harsh. I've been saying that his legs have gone. I think I think it's a good option to have. He's, he's technically a very good player. He's obviously towards the end of his career, but he's actually not as old as I probably make him out to be. No, but I think you're right. I think I I, list, I watched the Milan game on, on media set last night with Italian commentary and I thought the commentary was outstanding. It was just it was so nice to be um again again it might be a it might also be because I don't listen to it um a lot, but it was just nice to listen to commentators who are in the stadium who knew kind of the players' backgrounds intimately and tactically they just they always provided a very kind of uh, Roberto Crevero, the former Torino defender, was a co-commentator. But yeah, they were just kind of really on it tactically, which was quite interesting. And yeah, it was a lot of chat kind of about Rodriguez and Torino effectively. All our thrust was on one side with Singo and, and Lukic and, and Rodriguez was kind of basically told not really to get forward uh, yesterday. So I think, I think it is a limitation. I think in certain scenarios, um, he can do a job there. Um, and I think he's done done it well. He did okay last night until he decided to uh, miscontrol a header, which put Gigi into trouble. Which yeah, it's probably something we could talk about because I thought with Gigi when he got that first yellow card, I thought okay, he's definitely getting subbed. He's going to be the central defender subbed, which Juric always does. Um, it was a game with very few fa- kind of the referee let the game flow a lot, which was a good thing I think. And I thought the first yellow was harsh because he could have easily like you said yeah I think he could have, uh, could have gone to Singo could have gone to Singo in the second one uh, yeah I think he could have I think he couldn't wait to get I, his I think, card out no. I think if he I think almost 
If he bought himself a little bit of time, I think Gigi gets enough of the ball where you could probably say it was even just not even give a foul, to be honest, because I don't think it was a particularly dangerous challenge. Um, No, I see it was a bit harsh, but I think it might have been ultimately a decision that worked in our favour because, because, yeah, it it kind of meant we played, uh, we could play a certain way and it kind of of worked out. But yeah, it it was harsh. Um, But I don't think think Rodriguez is going to be a bit like Bayer, I think it's not probably the ideal solution for wing back with um with kind of the dual ob- objective of the Coppa Italia and the and the league. So um the other thing I went to mention the Salernitana was I was a lot of hype about how Ochoa played. Um it's one of those he made a lot of saves. But none um, of them were pro- particularly good. Yeah, the one against Moranchuk where it was a bit of a it was a bit of a sneaky little shot where he was going the wrong way and he saved it with his feet but I don't I think, think any of his saves were like if he hadn't made if he hadn't made them he would have been criticised it wasn't there was no yeah. but there was the volume of saves I guess was quite and I think impressive. I think there was one where he's got a fingertip to it and it might have hit the post up was that the Rodriguez chance? Yeah I think he does get a touch to that one I think Achero is a bit of a, a comedy character because obviously especially over in England you only tend to see him once every four years once he's playing for Mexico in the World Cup and he's got sort of crazy hair uh, and he's uh, it's going to sound really harsh, but I think he's failed every time he's gone to Europe in the past. And it, it was uh, to be honest, it, it's not. A, I didn't. It, obviously, I was annoyed from a Torino perspective, but I, I thought he was. He would. It would be natural that he would get a lot of praise for him. But he is the sort of same keeper who will cost you as many points as he will in a in a little bit weight, a little bit similar to Milinkovic Savic. Milinkovic Savic made a lot of saves against Lenitana, made a lot against saves against Milan, but. You wouldn't particularly say any of them were miraculous or or particularly convincing. He's just an eccentric. Both are eccentric goalkeepers who they they have their positives are they can play up from the back, but they're always liable to a to a bad mistake. Yeah, I think with Savit, I think his save where the death shot which deflected last night was actually a lot harder than it looked. And if you imagine a smaller goalkeeper, um, may have struggled to get to that, and that sometimes. Yeah, sometimes we criticise him, but then there's other times where he's maybe made a save look easier than it would have been for other goalkeepers. Um, but yeah, I guess just closing on the Coppa Italia, I think it was a, it was up there with the Milan League win of the season as the the kind of the two big highlights. I hope obviously the Samp Fiorentina later today. I mean, what are you are you feeling like it could be the year we get to the semi finals at least? I think we, we've given ourselves the opportunity, and that's that's the main thing. I think maybe the the fans can get behind this if if we do manage to get a home tie in the in the sort of semi final of the Copper, that might convince Cairo to to sort of pay a little bit of mo- more money in the in the transfer market. I'm not quite sure when the uh, first of February. Is. I think it's I think it's the quarter final is on the day of the deadline or just ah. after the deadline. So, so yeah, it might, it might be very quick at the uh, at the hotel to get the signing sorted. But who who knows? We've given ourselves a chance. All right. Well, shall we... Um, we haven't done a hero and villain for a while. So are we ready to... Uh, yeah. Ready for a bit of nostalgia? Let's go for it. Happy vantaggio al settimo minuto con Rizzitelli che approfitta di un errore difensivo di Torricelli. 1-0. Hello and welcome back to the Talking Toro podcast. You will have just heard a bit of commentary from a player who scored the last time that Torino managed to do the double against Juventus in the league. 
and it is actually Peter's Hero of the Week. So, Peter, do you want to introduce your your Torino hero? Well, yeah, this 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 guy only played two seasons for Torino, but it was so popular he had a street named after him. Um, it is Rizzigo uh, Ruggiero Rizzitelli, who, yeah, as you said, was the hero in the season where we last uh, did the double in the derby, which was the 94-95 season. Um, it was a pretty strong Juventus team, which memory serves correctly what they won the double that year. So we did the double against the double, the double winners. Um, yeah, Rizzitelli, uh, a bit of background, was kind of, had been at Roma for a long time as like a battering ram second striker. So just to give you an indication of his impact at Torino, he scored 29 in 154 goals and 154 games at Roma. He scored 30 in 60 at Torino. So that's one in two. Um, and it just, yeah, it just had, I think that first season, he had one of those seasons that, you know, sometimes strikers get in their career where um, everything they touch uh, turns turns to gold really but it wasn't I guess it wasn't even as simple as that it was um, going into the first derby was postponed because there'd been floods in Turin a quite serious one so the game was replayed in in January and up to that point I think uh, Rizzitelli had scored a few goals um, but uh, he scored something like three goals in 14-15 games so nothing too impressive uh, he scores two in a in a great derby where we win three two. It's three two at half time, and then um, Ravinelli. Well, Pastine saves the penalty from Ravinelli to to um, win the game for us, and then he had an absolutely brilliant um, spring where he scored uh, in nine out of ten matches, twelve goals in in ten matches, easily the best run of his career, and then another two in the derby which we won two one. Um, so yeah. Yeah, any Torino player except Fabio Quagliarella who scores the winner in the derby, you just you're going to be a cult hero. You're going to, you know, unless you do something really stupid. Um, so to do it twice in the season was absolutely momentous. And he was he played as a kind of second, very physical second striker, good in the air. But we had Andrea Salenzi, the kind of beanpole target man, and then Abdi Pele um, playing off them. And yeah, it done. It did really well. The, the seat that season hadn't started very well. Uh, Rosario Rampanti, who, an ex Torino player, had been appointed coach, but he only lasted two matches. And there was, I remember talk at the time that there was a bit of dressing room unrest, maybe even with, with Rizzi Telly. Um, and then Nedo Sonetti, kind of this kind of grisly veteran coach who'd done a lot of Serie B, uh, came in and uh, yeah, we, we ended up having a very good season. And, not finishing that that shy from Europe, um, and then the second season, uh, Silenzi goes to he has his infamous move to Nottingham mm-hmm. Forest, and then we bring in a you know on paper an, a massive upgrade in Hakan Sukur. Um, Ritteli is captain at least for part of that season, um, but after Christmas that season just goes really really sour, um, and there was a game. The season turns the game away at Lazio. We're one 0 up. Brizzatelli scores in the 80th minute, and an absolutely stupid handball from a kind of Maltaliati, our central defender, someone who played a lot of games for Torino, but I never really, yeah, was never very really comfortable watching. Uh, handballs it outside the box, and Lazio score in injury time. Um, Equaliser. We weren't in the bottom four at that moment, but after that result, we never left the bottom four. 
Um, Rizzitelli was still pretty decent in that second season. He scored, um, I think he scored another 11, 12 goals. He put us 1-0 up in a derby in the spring, which is a nice way of kind of bringing in Gianluca Vialli, who who sadly passed away recently, because um, we were 1-0 up at half-time and then uh, we ended up losing 2-1. And Vialli scores an absolutely brilliant winner where he spins the... I can't remember which Torino defender it was, but he kind of spins one from the edge of the box. Um, but yeah, Ricciatelli ended up playing four derbies, scored five goals. And then we're relegated at the end of that season. I think he's injured for at least the last month for the season and ends up going to Bayern Munich uh, for two seasons um, and then does okay there and his kind of career drifts away. But it was a case of, yeah, he was in the Italy squad for Euro 88, but missed out on Italia 90. Um, Definitely a player who's just, yeah, kind of one of those stories where everything came together for him that season. had the time of his career at Torino. It's kind of a shame that second season went the way he did. But yeah, it's just I'm trying to think of also your time as a Torino supporter. I can't remember too many times where a Torino striker has just looked unplayable um, and had that run of form. There was yeah, we, I can, I can think of somebody, both. but I can't mention him because I get I get told off. Well, we, uh, certainly Marco Ferrante did in Serie B days, but. Uh, I don't think he ever had that kind of run in, in, in Serie A. Um, Chiro Immobile, possibly, um, when the Capo Cannonieri season. Um, but I still think he missed a lot of chances. Um, and he still does. And, and still does, <laughs> but still scores a lot. Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah. I, were you, who are you going to mention? Rolando Bianchi or? Uh, Bianchi in Serie B, but I think Bellotti, when he had, Bellotti, I will win. Ah, okay. When he had his break, when he had his breakthrough season where he scored 23 league goals, I think he was as, as complete a striker that I'd seen for that season. It wasn't, it wasn't something he was able to, to sort of continue or, or anything, but I think, yeah, it's, sometimes you you see a player in a three and and even not a striker, even some midfield players or, or defenders, you you'll see a player and they have an, almost like Bremer last season. You see a player and you're actually watching him and you're thinking, how is this player still at Torino? Like he he is unbelievable. He he's making this he's making a very difficult position or a very difficult sport look ridiculously easy. Um, and it sounds like in in that season for Ricciatelli, that's that's exactly what he he was able to do. I actually think for the first time I've got to applaud you on a Bellotti mention because I hadn't really thought about this, but I think they were very similar. Because they kind of had chiseled strikers. They were, I think, a similar build. Um, I think Ricciatelli a bit less acrobatic than the younger Bellotti anyway. But yeah, very kind of similar characters. And I think Bellotti often plays a second striker as well rather than a rather than rather than um necessarily a target man. You know, such as when he might maybe played off um Maxi Lopez. Um but I think yeah, very yeah, very, very similar players and I think that is a good point. And I think yeah, Bellotti in that season under under Mihailovic. But just the Rizzatelli season it just it's great going on these goal scoring runs. Um you know the immobile season those goals took us to Europe. Um, you know, although sadly for Immobile that season, did it not end up with him missing a penalty against Palmer? Or he, oh, did he, he miss a penalty sent, and get some, and get sent he, off? And no, miss- I think he, he got booked for diving. Okay. Which led to him missing the game against Fiorentina. That's right. So he missed, um, 
so, so he yeah, so he did miss the game, and and I, I mean that season's probably worth a podcast on its own because I mean I, I was at the Fiorentina game and the the feeling after Churchy misses the penalty and you think that we're not going to Europe and then we end up going in because Palmer, um, have uh, got financial problems. Like that is something which I, I think all I think I've probably mentioned on the pod before. I think fans of all clubs probably think this is something that can only happen to us, but that is the 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 definition of peak. Peak Torino that the two times Torino have, have qualified for Europe in the last fifteen years has been because of the failures of others, um, and yeah, let's hope that continues this season. Yeah, well, no, I just but I think it's when you go on those goal scoring runs, you have those seasons where you're unplayable. To have something tangible at the end of it, like for Rizzatelli didn't yeah. win anything, but you know. To, he scored four goals in in a derby double, and you know, for a Torino fan, that is after maybe qualifying for Europe and winning a trophy, that is, yeah, that's kind of the next level of of things, and that will always be talked about. Whereas, yeah, sometimes you think we you feel a bit ba- bad for Bellotti because he scored a lot of goals, but if I look back, yes, they, you know, they did a lot for Torino. You know, we would have been a lot worse off without it. But you know, what's the most famous? Some great Bellotti goals, and I don't want to bring this onto a Bellotti thing, but it kind of raises an important thing. What you know, what was Bellotti's? What was the, his great moment? He had a, the equaliser against Sassuolo in the season we eventually qualified for Europe. Again. But Sassuolo, you know, it's like it's a great, it's a great goal. But sorry, talking, dark, talking uh, sorry, talking Sassuolo again. But really, you know, you're not, you're not gonna. Yeah, and the, yeah, I mean, Bellotti, dying... Bellotti did end up getting his his derby goal, but. Yeah, they got I, a few and, derby goals, but think, they were never they were never and, that decisive. And again, this is with turning this into the Bellotti podcast, but I think unfortunately that's not the reason where Bellotti. I don't think, unfortunately, I think Bellotti's legacy with Torino will be won't be remembered fondly, and it won't be because he didn't score in a in a didn't score too many goals against Juventus, or it wasn't because we we never won a trophy or or had a, a great run in Europe. It would be the way that he left. And that will always be his legacy, unfortunately. I think maybe in the future, um, fans might start to sort of forget that. And but I think there will be a large section of Torino fans who will never forget that that Bellotti left almost in the middle, almost Fabio Capello esque in the middle of the night, not saying a word until he until he really had to when he when he signed for uh, when he signed for Roma. Yeah, but do you not also think part of that is he didn't really have any of those major. I don't know, really major standout moments that scored against Wolves, Peter. What are you talking about? Well, he scored, yeah. Which, but but there was a lot of kind of failure. There was a lot of kind of. Yeah, whereas I think someone like Ritzy Telly, who played a lot fewer games for Torino, and may you know, probably wasn't as good a player, maybe as Bellotti either. But yeah, just it's also you. You when, I guess when your body of work, um. Yeah, leads to something like winning a double derby. It's it, it, it makes a big difference. So I think yeah, I think there's kind of two interesting strands of Bellotti there. One, the similarity between the two players, and the second one, just yeah, just kind of the impact of of kind of legacy and what they did. And yeah, Bellotti's a different situation. Yeah, I wouldn't completely rule him out coming back to. I mean, is is. Yeah, like I say, we don't want to turn this into a blotty podcast, but we're kind of halfway through the season and he's still not scored a league goal for Roma. So um, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him 
move on at the end of the season or even in the January transfer. Well, I think he, I'm, I'm, again, not to make this a blast podcast again, but I'm, I think he's only got one year contract, so it, he, okay. it's, it's it is an option to to extend it for a second again. This maybe if Torino in Europe, and we need a we need a third striker. We might give uh, Andrea a call. We'll see. But my my hero, yeah, was a was ultimately was probably defined by what he did against Juventus. Um, your hero, a little different. Your villain, sorry, or it might be a hero. I don't know. Well, I mean, for there for debate. I can't believe that this player took so long to become a villain, and I think possibly that was because for such a long time, um, this was a player that a lot of fans loved. And I was a, a big fan of, and I think of the era that I was supporting Torino in, sort of 2005 onwards, there wasn't many players who would sort of come up through the Primavera and then become a regular and then go on to play for Italy. Um, you may have been able to guess who it is, but it is Angelo Agbona. Um, and like when we were discussing about Ricitelli about how Sometimes a player can just have an unbelievable season or you watch him play and just think what an unbelievable player he is. And I think Obana in the promotion season was... I mean, obviously, he'd come into the Torino side even still when we were in Serie A. He was still quite young, quite raw. He was originally a left-back and then he moved into to being a left-sided centre-back. And you could see there was potential there. And then I think it took until we were playing in Serie B and he was sort of playing regularly that you could also see that this is a player who technically quite good, good in the air, quick, um, had a lot of attributes that you need in, in modern football. And in Serie B, he he did look like a bit of a cliche, but he did look like a Rolls Royce. And I think one of the surprising things that actually in, in the first season when we came to get, when we got promoted and under Ventura, he struggled quite a bit, actually. I think Glick adapted a lot quicker to Serie A, which probably was quite unexpected. And I think he I think he definitely got sent off in one game, which left us down to nine men. I think he... Cagliari. It was a yeah, horrible Cagliari. game at Cagliari. Yeah. yeah. My irrational hatred for um, Bruno Conti's son, who was always <laughs> an absolute wind-up merchant. But yeah, um, but I think the, Dolly, might... the Dolly Menga game, that was. Yeah, and I think he might have been sent off twice. I, I think, think that you're was right. The second red card that season, and he he did just look a little bit. Um, I, I I couldn't really put my finger on it because he had every attribute you you would think to succeed, and he'd he'd gone to Euro 2012 with Italy as a, as with a Serie Torino, B player. As a Serie B player, so it, you could see it wasn't. Sometimes you you'll see a player, and I'll look through my sort of maroon tinted glasses and and rate a player who nobody else does. <laughs> Omar Alcadori. Um, but there there will be other players where you can sort of see what, what people see in them. And I think a little bit with Ogbonna, it was probably quite surprising that he then he then went on and moved to Juventus, which is obviously the reason why he, he is in this category. I think there are players, uh, this is probably a bit of a, maybe this is a personal opinion and, and you, you might be, some, you might be wanting to disagree to it, but I don't hold Ogbonna and Bremer in the same regards. I think Bremer did the exact same move, but that was the best deal for Torino and made the most sense for us. I'd rather we'd sold him to Juventus for 50 million than Inter for 35. It, ultimately, it doesn't 
it doesn't matter as much as I think of previous players who've made that made the moves. So I'd say Balzaretti is probably the king of um, players Torino hate for making that move. But Obana, because of sort of coming through the Primavera, wasn't from Turin, but moved at a very young age, um, had played played 160 games, so was very was the vice captain, I think, in, in the, the Bianchi years and, and often sort of wore the captain's armband when, when Bianchi wasn't available. Um, I think he was a bit of a, a blow when he sort of made the move uh, across the city. Um, is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, it's a fairly easy target in a way to villainize a player who goes from Torino to Juventus. I think there's, I think it's ultimately it's a bad thing to do in our <laughs> eyes. Um, but I think there are different levels of it. But I think Balzaretti was worse because. Um, he was a badge kisser and um yeah really played on being a fan's favorite and with everything that was happening at the club at the time he was out of contract Torino didn't get a fee for him um he could have gone to different places anyway it was his career and his decision but you know a local a local lad who you know um claimed to be a massive Torino fan whereas Ogbonna was a very dispassionate individual he wasn't someone he wasn't someone who wore his heart on his sleeve a lot. He was, he was, I always liked him and I, we kind of, yeah, you, you would have followed his rise pretty closely because it would have been the early years of your fandom, but these were dark days for being a Torino fan as well. We, you know, we, uh, the club had, club had folded. We'd lost our entire, we lost our entire youth system for a while as well. So we lost a lot of players. And those early Cairo years between Serie A and Serie B, there weren't many players really we could identify with. There was a lot of kind of um, a lot of players at the end of their career, a lot of few mercenaries. Um, you know, it's no surprise a lot of kind of villains with selecting came from came from that period. Whereas Ogbonna was, yeah, he was a constant in the kind of those Serie A years, and then coming back in through Serie B. But he was never someone. I, I actually, anecdotally, I don't know if I mentioned this, but. I was out at dinner in Turin in 2009. I'd gone back and it was the night of the Champions League final between Man United and Barcelona. And Ogbonna was out at dinner and it was a few days after the Genoa debacle oh. where we, where we, we, yeah, we got all upset with Genoa. Because, because they, Genoa wanted to qualify for the Champions League. For the Champions League and, and beat us. And Ogbonna was involved. At, I think in, I don't think he was sent off, but I think he was banned for his role in the fight. Um, after the game, uh, or kind of the fight that was on the pitch, uh, before kind of before the final whistle. But anyway, he was out at dinner in the same restaurant as me. And I was kind of reflecting on two things: why you're out at dinner, um, in such a visible place when your team is about to get relegated and you've just been banned for the rest of the season. Secondly, why aren't you watching the Champions League final? Because I, <laughs> he was, I think he was. I, a, I, I'd, I think I'd he had was it. Substitute, I think he was a substitute at that time. Anyway, he wasn't like a regular starter. He, um, I think he'd broken, yeah, he'd broken into the team. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Ogbonna, the other thing with Ogbonna, it's, he went to Juventus, it, he was a, never more than a kind of back, he was a Rugani of the era, wasn't he? He was a backup yeah. to... And he he, um, he played in the derby, I think, that we won in 2015. May well be right. Did. But I just, I feel like he's, his level quickly found is like Torino, West Ham, it's no, he's played... Over 400 games for Torino and West Ham. He played a lot more football for Torino than Juventus. I think he'll be remembered 
far more as a Torino player than a Juventus player, and probably more a kind of West Ham player than anything and, else. And but... that was that was what I was going to sort of end it on a little bit is that he he didn't. I think it almost makes it a little bit easier. It's probably why he, it's taken so long for him to be picked as a as a villain is the fact that it didn't work out for him at Juventus. And almost I, I when I watch West Ham games, I think he's actually matured into a, a very good Premier League player. I think I always felt Premier League was sort of somewhere he Definitely, would, yeah. do, would do well in and um, that, that has sort of come to pass. I think West Ham fans would probably speak very highly of him. The, the amount of time he's been there, I think they always look a better side when he's in the team um, and he's sort of matured into just a a very, a very solid Premier League centre-back and yeah, I think that almost makes it a little bit easier that he didn't go on to have a great career at Juventus. They sort of sold him at the first opportunity that they had and he's gone on and, and sort of forged a career in the Premier League and and has done a good job at that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's almost makes it a I little think, bit easier. I think the Sands of Time have been quite kind to Ogbonna in the way that, yeah, the way his career has kind of, kind of evolved. He's ended up for Torino fans, kind of in a different league. Um, so he's not someone who's gone on to another team and got booed when he's come back to Torino, really. Yeah. Um, so there's that kind of distance. He's probably been forgotten about. He's probably more in our conscious as a Premier League player than he is your average Torino fan. Um, and he's obviously been injured for a while. But yeah, I think you know, we got a fee for him. He didn't do great at Juventus. It probably wasn't a bad bit of business. Um we would have much preferred had he gone somewhere else, but I just had, felt... he, gone, had he gone direct to West Ham or, or so, and and then maybe or to a Milan or to a Roma yeah. or, or something or something else. But yeah, I mean, I think any player who goes from Torino to Juventus, they're not they're going to go in that villain category. And I think more than anything, these chats are just to talk about players who've had an impact at Torino, and he definitely was a very important player during a kind of very um, unstable time. Especially on the pitch, I'd say, um, key figure in the promotion season. Yeah, and that season, I wonder if that season back under Ventura, the first one back in Serie, probably maybe affected his price tag as well because he wasn't, he was, he'd had a lot of injuries that season as well. But he, he never looked like a player who um, would make mistakes. Uh, but he was very clumsy that season, yeah. and it, it could have been that the transfer was. It, you know, there could have been things, you know, in in the background that uh, he could have joined at Juventus a lot, a lot earlier in the season. You know, that deal might have been in place and playing on his mind, or 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 moving on. But yeah, he wasn't. It didn't end particularly well either. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if he finishes. His, he's thirty four now, which uh, yeah, it's what. In a sense, surprised me he was that old, but um, it'd be interesting to see if he did, does come back to Italy, um, and uh, or whether he finishes he finishes his career in England. But yeah, I think he's I think he's uh, moving to England was the best thing for his career. I think he's def- definitely uh, a centre half suited to to playing in the Premier League, um, which yeah, a lot of Italian centre halves um, may not have been. Um, as suited because he's you know he's quick and he's good in the air and he's strong and brave and um and kind of yeah adapted very well but I can say that he did contribute for Torino uh, because he did start in the uh, 2015 derby so that that can there be his go. claim to uh, 
is going to frame. Uh, I did I did promise you at the start, um, before we went on air, that I had a, a quiz question for you, because this is the first podcast we've had since Peter deservedly beat me in the uh, the the first uh, Christmas 3-0 quiz. Um, so Obono actually scored quite a few goals once he's moved to England. He's a bit of a goal threat at West Ham, but he only scored one for Torino. Can you remember who it was against? But I'll give you a clue because that is harsh. I, I can actually. Oh, you can. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. This is the, the the annoying part is that there's a link, incredibly, with Arturo Hero. Okay. Yeah, there is. There will be. I, yeah. I. I. I can. Well, I confess. I remember the goal very well. It was a header from a corner. Yeah. I remember he went absolutely ballistic. It's the only time he showed any emotion. Uh, I remember he got really. It was towards the end of the Colin Tuono season where we were pushing for the playoffs. We'd had a bit of a revival. Um, and if you'd asked me this yesterday, I would have said Piacenza because I, I swore it was against Piacenza. Um, but when I did a bit, bit, bit of quick research, so yeah, the, my honest my honest answer would have been Piacenza. But in reality, the goal was against Cesena, and... uh, which is where Ruggiero Rizzitelli started his, his career. And I may have the most niche... Uh anecdote of where I watched this game Chisena uh, no, no <laughs> unfortunately not but I was in Italy uh, so okay. I'd uh, gone to Italy a, I'm trying to think why did I go there so I'd went there for the week beforehand uh, on a holiday it would have been Saturday to Saturday and we stayed in Trieste and went to a Triestina game but it was the uh, April of the Icelandic Ash Cloud. So I wasn't able to get back until the following week. So uh, Torino played, I think it was a midweek game. Uh, it could have been, maybe even been Monday night, but it was definitely a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And the hotel that we were staying in, because we couldn't fly back to England, um, had the ability to buy games on sort of Sky Italy okay. or whatever it was. So I was able to watch it live in Italy uh, in a small town close to Trieste Airport called Monfalcone. So... Any uh, any Monfalcone listeners, you've got you've got a bit of a shout out, uh, but yeah, that is it. That is why I would have remembered it even before. It, again, just for such a bizarre reason that I just remember it being Chisena. Uh, but yeah, bit of a bit of a strange one because he never even seemed to be a bit of a goal threat. But he'll pop up for a, a goal every now and then for West Ham, and it surprises me. Yeah, no, indeed. Um, before we talk about Spezia this weekend, um, as do you want to kind of look at a few of the transfer rumours? Um, it's actually not been a lot, and I've heard certain people also say that they there might be a scenario where Torino don't buy anyone in January, which I fear would be a mistake on many levels. One, also because Juric has asked for... Juric has actually been pretty calm recently, um, but he has asked for two players. He won't commit to which positions. I, um, I, think, I think three would be... I think um, I think I the fullback is. So if you were the other rumor, the one position I don't think we need to strengthen is centre half. But there, there was talk, there has been I, talk of us trying to sign Kien, the Swedish player from Verona, who we could have signed in the we, summer, but chose not we to. Could, could, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, who I the commentator in the Verona game seemed to think he was brilliant. I thought he was okay, and then whenever it, he was under pressure, didn't look that great, especially yeah, on the ball. I agree. But uh, that was, and then there's also talk of Skurs. This is a bit Tuto sport talk, um, but the Inter are starting to look at Skurs as a replacement for Skriniar. Um Not something likely to happen in January, but 
and maybe those two things are will resurface in the summer um but there hasn't been there hasn't been a whole lot of names linked um prior even prior has gone a little quiet i think um, he still i think he may still be injured uh, which might be that but i mean that that's the rumor which comes up that that's the one player that Juric has asked for um so i could see towards the end of the window that might be be an area which we try and look at again i think Torino are quite strict in, in what they're willing to play pay for a player who is quite injury prone um and a player who Leicester have maybe integrated into the team more than we thought they might have so maybe not desperate to get rid of um Eldor Sharamadov is probably the most linked player because I think we've made a bid uh, of a a loan loan with options to buy you'll be surprised to hear Peter the classic um, yeah I don't know enough about him to to pass comment or turn my nose up I certainly would like us to have another striker as we as we've discussed and and might just be a case of having another competent body up there and having someone who can do what Snabria does maybe be a bit more of a goal threat For, and actually and... allow our allow the three the three creative players behind a bit more freedom and license and maybe it doesn't maybe we don't need to be looking at bringing in a someone who's capable of scoring 15 20 goals but it's about having it's about having alternatives there um, I don't. Uh, I've, yeah, a lot of people are a bit lukewarm about it. Who know know the situation more, uh, or know his him more than his qualities more than I do. Yeah, if you look at Shromadov's sort of goal record, it's not particularly prolific. Even before he came to Italy, I think he's probably quite a nice, aesthetically pleasing, hardworking, technical player. But would he be? Somebody sounds like that can... sounds like a Juric player to me. And... Yeah, so it, 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 I don't think he would be the sort of player. What we need is somebody to come into his team and and hit the ground running and almost be like a. Try to think of a, a Torino player in the past who isn't particularly great technically, but is a finisher, and and that's almost what what we need. We need somebody to to just finish these chances that these pretty number tens are creating. Um, and that that would be my preference for that position. I, I've said in the past that I, I like Beto from Udinese, but again, he's probably more of a more all-round complete player. Somebody who can hold the ball up, quite can go in behind. And um, but I mean, that's not going to happen because he's going to be in excess of twenty million euros. So I think there maybe there's somebody in the middle. I don't think Sharamadov's not the name I would go for personally, but I think it might be most likely. But uh, in other positions, I think in terms of wing back, um, Lazovic from Hellas was mentioned once Lazaro got injured and then promptly went and scored twice for Hellas. And I can't see whilst they've got an opportunity to stay up, albeit quite a slim one, they're going to let go of a player who captained them against Torino. Um, and then Josip Juranovic, uh, Croatia's World Cup. Uh, right back uh, is apparently moving to Italy, and he, his name doesn't go away in terms of in terms of a link to Torino. Uh, Mons is probably more likely for him to go, so that's where a lot of the rumours have come from. Yeah, there's a few things. Torino can spend money sometimes. There might be. You know, last year, Richie from one, yeah, Richie came yeah. for ten million. There is so it's it's very random how. Torino sometimes won't pay an extra five hundred thousand 
or a million and, for a deal, which makes sense, and then suddenly we'll spend ten. And I do, and I do think sometimes it's nights like last night convince Cairo he because deep down whatever you say about him as and I, I think people have all got their own opinions on him. Whether he was a Torino fan or his parents were Torino fans, he does have a lot of affection for this club, and he does run the club a little bit like just a very um, financially as runs as a family family business essentially. Yeah, yeah, and almost like a and and some of the decisions he makes are, are made from the heart rather than the head. If you think of when we we had uh, we went out of Europe and then we lost to we went to um, we we weren't playing. At, we went. To, we played Atalanta and we beat them, and then we signed Simone Verdi, which wasn't particularly a player that we needed. It was just sort of a an impulse purchase. So, I think maybe something like last night might think, well, actually, let's if there is a player who we can go out there and get ten million euros and it's going to improve our chances of winning the cup, then then maybe we're willing to do that in the same way that, like I say, Richie signed in January and and instantaneously improved us as as a team. Um, I think it will be interesting to see whether. Maybe that I think if that's going to happen, it'll probably be towards the end of the window. Oh, uh, if any, if anything happens, it'll be towards the end of the window, just because. And, and Richie, yes. I, I seem to think happened quite very quickly, like out of nowhere, and and they're probably the best transfers that happen. Where ones which aren't rumored, there's not three weeks of talks. They just happen very quietly, and and I, I would like us to sign maybe just somebody who isn't linked. We, we've talked about when Moretti and Nkula were signed in the past, and literally no. No really inkling well, before before it's announced on the website. Yeah, I've got three three names for you. So one um what well, I guess the first one would be Enzola, who has been linked and is out of contract with um Spezia, I think at the end of the season. Um Spezia who we're playing this weekend, so uh you guess you guess how that might go. The other one is a similar operation to Richie would be bringing in Parisi from Empoli, the left back, um, which there was talk of it in the summer and that would have been a really good pick up then. I think now there's probably a bit more competition and there might be clubs who are, yeah, who are further ahead in those negotiations. And then the other player who's been mentioned is Illich from Verona, who would be quite expensive and I think will probably be, I can't see it happening, but it might be a pick up if Verona go down and, 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 the price that what well, they're going to have to sell, um, but yeah, there's not a whole whole. I think we're probably looking at uh, a fullback who I imagine whose name not necessarily been linked anywhere yet, and then possibly Priot and one of those those forward forwards we've mentioned. But um, let me throw let me throw one. Josip Brekalo could. Could he come back? Could he be the player? I think. I, I think the possible. I think the possibility would definitely be. It might be an easier deal than the prior one. Yeah, but would Brekelo come back and not be guaranteed um, a position in the starting eleven? Because I think initially, uh, I think our, our best, our best front three, even with Sanabria's poor form, is is Sanabria, uh, Vlasic, and Moranchuk. So. But I think that one of them will always be the rules of football. One of them will always be unavailable or yeah. be rotated. Yeah, and, and, and in, in the era of five substitutes now, I don't, I don't think players they know that they could play like a maximum. They could play sort of half an hour in every game. Maybe yeah, they th- maybe they don't mind so much. 
I think sometimes for those forward players, it's better to play in the in the last thirty minutes than in the first sixty. When, yeah. uh, but anyway, we've got we haven't got much time. We're going to talk about Spezia. Um, on paper, it's kind of Verona Salernitana esque in terms of will be favourites to to win it. They're a little bit more of a spiky, um, bit of a bogey team for us. A bit harder to play against. They're not in um, not in terrible form. Um, we've had a nil nil at home where we played against ten men for almost. I don't know, 83 minutes was it um, a couple of seasons ago and then last season we beat them with two Lukic goals um, it, I think we need to get we've had three 1-1 draws in our own league so it's time to time to change that are we going to change it for a win or are we going to is it going to be one of those um, yeah like the Cagliari defeat last season Spazio always gives me just a bit of shivers, really, because it's probably the the team we played against. Not in not in this fixture, it was it was in Liguria, but it's probably the worst, the lowest point I've I've had of as being a three no fan with that four one victory. That being said, I do think we have got enough to to beat them. They've they've been beaten since Christmas, but their away form isn't particularly impressive. Um, before beating Verona. Um, just before the break in Zola scoring twice, they'd lost mass I can't even do. A, a number of games in a row. Um so I think I think I'll go for a two 0 win and I just briefly before we leave, I'm gonna go for a niche request as well. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but Spetsy's uh, away shirt, which is um we we did do an episode on kits and I think you might admire it. I hope they wear it because their away shirt is uh, based on the Chincatera. It's quite a uh, I quite saw a bold it. design. Quite a bold yeah, design. Yeah, I mean, a lot I really, of it. I really like it. A lot of their shirts are pretty horrible, though, because they've got a load of sponsors and. Yeah. Yeah, not. not it, but yeah. It does look like maybe like a, a year five piece of art, but I um I do quite like it. So, yeah, if I can have a request, a 2 0 win, please, and a Spezia to wear, the, wear their nice away shirt. Okay. Well, I'll, I keep not to, going for 3 0 to win, and so I think I need to change that. Um, we need to start scoring goals. Um, no massive evidence we're going to do it on Sunday, but I think I'm going to go for 3-1 Torino win. Wow. Uh, I think it, yeah, it, I think it could be one of those games where um, could 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 be a bit of an ugly an ugly watch, but we'll see. Um, but anyway, it's been it's turned out to be a, a better start to the year than it was 24 hours ago. So. Um, let's see. Let's see how the Coppa Italia evolves, and we'll be back post Spezia, won't we? A bit more regularly now. So, forza Toro. Forza Toro.